This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey there. Quick word of warning here at the top. In this show, I'm talking to a real, honest to goodness New Yorker, and that means he curses a little bit. So, you've been warned. Here's some things you need to know about Carlin Chan. He's a New Yorker, through and through. You can hear it in his voice. And something else. He reps Chinatown hard. On Saturday mornings, he gets up and sweeps the streets. He's been working to get murals put up. He's lived here for 60 years. Oh, Chinatown? Oh, well, I grew up here. I, I moved into the neighborhood. I was a toddler, two, two and a half or whatever. And uh, I've been here since. I, I get the sense I could, like, blindfold you and, like, walk you out the door, like, go down a couple streets, and you'd still know exactly where we were. Uh, probably, yes. If I know where the starting point is, I, I could probably navigate through the streets, uh, you know, blindfolded. As long as you stop the traffic, I'm willing to try it. <laughs> as a kid, Carlin worked in one of the restaurants here, a dim sum place with the little carts of food being pushed around, Hong Kong style. Chinatown was a 24-7 neighborhood. Uh, we had the neon lights going on Mott Street, and you know, uh, tourists uh, like 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 uh, moths. Everybody's drawn to the bright lights. You know what I mean? He's been thinking back on that time because it was one of the first times he had an experience dealing with anti-Asian hate. We had certain people who tried to, you know, mug people, or we had people who were racist in nature coming in to harass the restaurants. And you know, at at the time. Yeah, we escorted them out of the neighborhood in no, yeah, in not such a friendly way, I would say. And they, you know, we made a statement and they didn't come back anymore. The neighborhood was safe at night. You had to be tough. Yeah, well, you can't do that. You can't escort people out of the neighborhood anymore because it's illegal. As anti-Asian crime seemed to rise over the last year, Carlin's started keeping track of every incident, one by one. The woman hit with a metal pipe on the Lower East Side. The 66-year-old man who got punched in the face. A Filipino woman on her way to church, attacked in front of a luxury condo. Yeah, I have a pretty good memory. And, you know, these things, I, yeah, I don't talk about it, but, you know, I, I know what happened. I know where it happened. When I hear about something, I reach out. I send the feelers out there to see if, I, if anybody I know happens to know the victim. And, you know, let's get this out there. But to understand what it feels like to be Asian in his city right now, Carlin says, just think about what happened to him when he was asked to speak at a press conference after one of these attacks. He took the train uptown, got off at Times Square. And I hear someone yelling, hey, that Asian guy over there, this and this and that, you know. So I looked up and down the sidewalk. I said, hold it, I'm the only Asian guy here. <laughs> So I, I kind of turn around and I see a person standing on the twin yellow dividing lines right in the middle of 42nd Street whipping out a phone. So I flipped them, I flipped them the bird and I said, you want a good freaking picture? You know, and I started approaching the person and, they, and the person walked away. What a New Yorker. 
Well, that's a typical New York response. I mean, you know, I'm not going to take this stuff from anyone. Today on the show, a very New York response to anti-Asian hate. What a year of organizing his neighbors has taught Carlin Chan. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So last year, you started a block watch in Chinatown. And twice a week, you're still doing it. Thursday's one of your days. Uh, yes. We, we, we actually, we started, I started this last uh, February uh, 2020, and we were patrolling three times a week. Right. And uh, so because of the winter, you know, it's pretty cold out there. Most of our volunteers don't live in the Chinatown area. So, that you know, they come in from all over. They come from New Jersey even. Uh, so I had to cut down the days. But, we, you know, we're going to pick it up again because, you know, apparently this is not going to ease up anytime soon. So uh, there's a need to increase the frequency of the patrols. I may actually start at the evening patrol now uh, hmm. just to address the needs. It, it's an ever-evolving uh, strategy and a plan. Take me on a walk with you and your crew. Do you have a route you do? It's a very random route throughout the neighborhood. And last weekend, uh, we I switched it up again because uh, being that we have a, a larger group last weekend, we had about 30 people. So we split into three teams and we, we stay in contact with uh, you know, the FM walkie-talkie devices. You know, this way, we're always within a block of each other in case there is an incident. Uh, but, you know, so this way we get more coverage area also. How would I know it's you? Like, what's do you guys wear identifying clothes or something else? I started with the orange safety vest, and then uh, I ordered the uh, orange polos. Now we have black hoodies. Now we have, you know, I just recently made a a, a shipment of uh, face masks, and we're, we're, I'm buying new uniforms for the uh, summer. So, so yeah, we're all in uniform. We're, we're we're visible. Is there a moment from your patrols over the last year that stands out to you? Like, was there a moment where you saw something and you intervened or where or some, something that you just keep returning to? Well, we've intervened in ver- verbal harassment. Personal abuse, you know, be making stupid remarks at, uh, at people, especially the old ladies along the curb trying to sell something. You know, I would intervene and say, well, why, why are you bothering these people? And what, what has this... What has these old, you know, old women done to you? If you don't like Chinese, you don't like Asians, why are you in Chinatown in the first place? Well, you try to reason with them. You try to de-escalate the situation. We're not a bunch of vigilantes out there looking for trouble. We're not a bunch of vigilantes out there looking to racially profile people. But we're there to de-escalate the situation, intervene, and record, and help the victim report it if necessary. We're just neighbors looking after neighbors. How did you start the block watch? Because you were saying how it's been a year since you started, but I feel like 
I wasn't necessarily seeing a lot of reports about anti-Asian sentiment and crimes until just the last few months. So what was what spurred you to start a block watch back in February 2020? There were reports on uh, social media platforms that uh, the immigrants use, uh, like WeChat. So there were several muggings, uh, a couple of robberies of stores. And, and these rumors, you know, well, they're not, they weren't actually rumors, but, you know, the news spread over the, the, uh, the social media platforms, and that created a lot of anxiety and fear in the neighborhood. Plus the fact that our streets were so quiet. Our streets were deserted back in January of 2020. Because people were worried about COVID. People were very worried about COVID. People thought that, you know, oh, the Chinese carried this uh, virus, you know, so they avoided this neighborhood. But, you know, as I tell other people, it's a silver lining in the cloud because we... Uh, all through 2020, we were number one or two from the bottom of the list of infection rate throughout New York City neighborhoods. So, you know, that's a silver lining in the cloud. Well, one of the goals of Carlin's Block Watch was to deter crime as it happened. Another goal was to simply support the Chinatown community. The Block Watchers distributed flyers, encouraging residents to wear masks. They arranged for people to get vaccinations. And Carlin's hope was that by doing these things, the folks here would trust the system a bit more and report harassment or assaults, whether the block watch was there or not. I've always advocated for people to uh, report incidents of uh, crime, whether they got mugged or whether they were harassed or whether they were attacked. Why wouldn't they do that? The, uh, years ago, it was a, a language access problem. Uh, the, the city did not have a language bank at the time. But about three years ago, four years ago, they, they, they created a language bank where you can just, the city agency or the police officer on the street can call into this bank and just say Cantonese, Mandarin, uh, or whatever language, Bangladeshi. You know, so, so it makes it a little easier, but there's still a lot of hesitancy on the part of immigrants to uh, have any kind of contact with government. Also, the reporting process was, uh, it was a chore you, if you walked into a precinct, it, it, you know, you'd be spending an hour and a half to two hours there trying to report a mugging. And then if you had to look through mug shots, you know, we can count on another hour or so. Right? But the NYPD recently rolled out an, a, an online reporting system where, let's say, an immigrant can have their children or their grandchildren just report the incident online and a detective or a police officer will follow up with you. So it makes it a little more easier it also makes it a little more, you know, a little more, uh, you know, less intimidating. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you talk because I was going to ask you about the fact that in the year that you built up this block watch, there's been an increase in reported attacks against Asian Americans in New York City. And I was going to ask you how you looked at that in terms of the success of your group. But listening to you talk, in some ways, I feel like having more incidents reported is part of your goal. And it may be a sign that you're reaching people. Uh, exactly. My, my, whole, my whole goal was to encourage people to start reporting incidents. Because years ago, pe people didn't want, didn't want to report this. You know, if you were verbally harassed on the street, uh, especially if you're, you know, ESL, English second language, uh, you, you you had no idea what they were talking about anyway. So, uh, but but it's you know if we look at 2019, I think there were one or two 
bias incidents against Asians in New York City. Uh, New York City has 1.4 million Asians uh, that identify as Asian. You don't think that's accurate? Oh, heck no. No way is that accurate. Because, you know, I, I've seen more uh, personally. So how can you have two incidents of harassment when I've personally witnessed more? In 2020, the NYPD recorded 27 anti-Asian crimes. And even though it's only April, Carlin says the city is already on track to record more than that in 2021. These numbers don't scare him, though. To Carlin, they're a sign that the Asian-American experience is finally being documented. You know, it's good to see people are stepping forward to report these incidents because the the NYPD and also the city government needs to uh, allocate resources. They need to rec- now they're recognizing this problem. I've always said if you don't report it, it never happened, and the city agencies and police will not allocate resources to address the issue. So now the city is allocating resources. The NYPD has created uh, positive steps to address this issue of uh, bias incidents against Asians. So if you could advocate for one change in the response to anti-Asian hate and hate crimes right now, I'm wondering what you would advocate for. They would, I, I would advocate for them to toughen the laws on this. Because right, right now, when you go into court, it's, it's kind of difficult to prove a hate crime in front of a jury if it ever gets that far. In the absence of any witnesses, multiple witnesses, uh, credible witnesses at least, uh, it's hard for the prosecution, the DA's office, to prove this. And, uh, you know, I, I would, you know ver- harassment as a hate crime is not really, you know, uh, uh, an offense that's, you know, put a person behind bars. You know, the mood in this country and the mood in this city is to decarcerate. So you decarcerate, we're going to put everybody. After the break, why Carlin calls what he's doing community policing. And we're back. I was reading that historically the relationship between residents in Chinatown and the police has been pretty complicated. I'm wondering if you can explain that a little bit. Like, like I was reading that in the 80s and 90s, police were not viewed as kind of indifferent to locals' concerns and that folks even worried they were being taken advantage of. All right, so there was, there was a lot of uh, misunderstanding. There was a lot of mis- miscommunication, uh, which created all of distrust. And there was also the language access problem. Now we have many more uh, bilingual officers uh, assigned to this precinct and the surrounding precincts. So it makes it a little easier. The, they, are, they are making an effort to have good relations with this community. And you know, the last couple of years, yeah, I would say so. They, they, they've, they, they've, make, uh, they've taken, they made big strides in, in uh, you know, uh, community policing down here. I'm kind of curious when you're out on patrol, how the folks you're walking with talk about things like defunding the police. Because I've noticed that some activists are pretty bullish on the idea of of taking money away from the police and saying, you know, this is really isn't working for our community, while others very much want the protection of the police. So what do those conversations look like when you're having them? Well, actually, um, there are no members in my 
on the Chinatown Block Watch calling for defunding the police. We we don't we don't get None. Into, we don't we don't get into partisan politics. We actually don't talk about politics at all. Hmm. I support police community you know, uh, community policing here. I would love to see a beat cop come back onto the job. You know, they, you know decades ago there used to be a beat cop. You know, the person you know these officers will walk around the neighborhood on foot. And they, they get to know all the business owners. They get to know the residents. Why do you think it is that in your group there isn't conversation about defunding the police? Because it's interesting listening to you. Some of what you're doing is community building. It's it's the kind of stuff that activists who want to defund the police think is more necessary. We're community building. We're, we're also, this is a, uh, a form of community policing uh, it, you might want to call it, but uh, you know we, we're not there to anti-police or calling to defund the police at all. If you if you defund the police, who's gonna who who's gonna who's gonna uh, uh, respond to crimes? Who's gonna respond to shootings? Or anything? There is room for reform on how the police responds to marginalized or ethnic enclaves, but you know, uh, but defunding the police? No, I, I wouldn't agree with that at all. What would you change? about the way the police respond to a community like yours? Well, I think they have responded well. We have uh, many bilingual officers in the different dialects, Mandarin and Cantonese. Uh, the community affairs officers reaches out to the communities. They do education forums in the senior centers when they were open. Uh, they do go to the, go into the community centers. They, they, they do tabling around the neighborhood. But so we should never view the police as, as a military force out there to keep us down. There is something I want to talk to you about, though, which is like how effective we can all expect a police response to hate crimes to be. Like I was reading about a recent anti-Asian attack in New York City, a, a Chinese-American bus driver who was punched and called a slur. And the guy who attacked him, he'd been arrested more than 30 times. And he was homeless and he was mentally ill and he was being monitored by the police department. And it sort of it raises the question in my head of what more can we expect police to do? Well, uh, actually, the police responded. They arrested the individual. He went to court and the court released them. So, it's you know, it's kind of frustrating sometimes because, you know, the police, the police are just there to enforce the law. And it's up to the courts there to uh, administer the law, but apparently with the bail, uh, the, the the reform packages that went in, I think it went a little too far where they took away uh, discretion from the judges. You know, they're locked in by the law how it's written. Uh, okay, look at a person who attacked a woman and her and her daughter on the way to a to a anti Asian hate rally in Columbus Park here two weeks ago. He just got picked up again yesterday for attacking someone. Because he was released without bail. Now that you've started patrolling the streets with your block watch group, do you think you're going to stop? Like, do you see this as a temporary thing that's responding to a crisis or something else? Uh, when I started the block watch, I was hoping to, that it would uh, kind of disband by the end of the year. But I, in the back of my head, I always knew things would get worse before it gets better. And sadly, it has turned it has gotten worse, uh, but you know. Uh, so probably we're gonna extend this until the end of this year, at least, or until the attacks fade away. 
because as uh, I think as the city reopens more, uh, you know, we're going to have less of these attacks. So a lot of people, the verb, especially the verbal harassment, you know, people have been locked down. Many people lost their jobs. Um, so, you know, they're frustrated sitting at home. They can't go to, uh, you know, they couldn't go to a ball game up until just a couple of days ago. They couldn't do, spend time with their family in group, large groups. So people are frustrated. Sometimes frustration always turns to anger. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a supermarket or in a store somewhere, you see an Asian person, you know, you would lash out at that person and say, hey, you know, you're the fucking one who, who, who caused this. You know, you're, you're the freaking person. You're, you know, your race or your ethnicity, uh, you know, caused me a year of hardship. Right? It's like the guy in, a, in, a, in Georgia. He had a bad day. I mean, that, that we're, we're, talking, we're talking institutionalized, you know, and, and entitlement here with, with a police captain. Said, oh, he had a bad day. Well, I, I got news for you. I've had 400 plus bad days. Hmm. I kinda, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. That you're you're hoping to shut down the block watch. I was wondering if you were just gonna make it a permanent fixture. Well, if if someone wants to fund this, uh, you know, I could make it a permanent fun, uh, fixture. I mean, we're all volunteers. You know, as as the city reopens, people have people need to get back to work. I have a solid core of twenty five people who've dedicated the last fourteen months to coming out and patrolling the neighborhood. Without any kind of reward, the only reward is the satisfaction of taking part, an active part, in keeping an eye after this community. Carlin Chan, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Carlin Chan is a Chinatown resident and the founder of the Chinatown Block Watch. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, and Carmel Dalshad. Every day, we get a ton of help from Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. Tomorrow, stay tuned to this feed. Lizzie O'Leary will be here with our Friday show, What Next TBD. And if you've ever wondered whether you should be getting therapy from an app, tomorrow's show is just for you. Check it out. Meanwhile, I'm Mary Harris. I will catch you back here on Monday. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.